right, welcome. It is Monday, December 14th, World of Pew Podcast. I'm here with Brandon. Brandon, how's it going today? Oh, it's going well, Chris. How are you doing? Good. The news won't stop breaking this morning. Lots of stuff to talk about. Um, big day. Um, we're going to talk later about the Columbus crew. They're MLS champions, which is a fun story. Obviously, Brandon's a huge fan, and it's a good story for Columbus as a whole. I mean, they almost lost the team, and obviously 2020 has been a big bunch of junk when it comes to the news, and it's good to have a positive story. So congratulations to the crew. David Miller was a part of a fan movement to save the crew, and I remember covering that when I was working with the Inquirer, and I got to admit, and I'll ask David about this, I didn't see it happening when he first started the idea, but he helped bring it to fruition. He was part of the group to help save the crew. So we'll talk about what he did, and I'm sure he's excited to see it to crew one. And we'll talk more Brandon, too, as a player in the show, because I'm sure Brandon's really excited about this as well. And first, in a few minutes, we're going to have uh, Amber Hunt. Uh, she'll be on from the Cincinnati Inquirer. She does two very successful crime podcasts, and Brandon – you know, if we're not listening to World of Pew and podcasting, we're listening to crime podcasts. Crime, crime podcasts are pretty popular. We're going to talk to her about what she does does for that. And in addition, um, the Inquirer um, put out a great uh, story in the documentary about 2020, telling the stories of local people and how they handled 2020. And Brandon. Um, video is important in journalism now. You know, you see a lot of newspapers do one or two minute videos telling stories. Guess how long they did for their documentary? More than two minutes. <laughs> Four, yes. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> bing, 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 you won. 48 minute documentary. And I, I got to see a little bit of it last night. It's on the... It's it's on their story page. So they, they do outstanding work. And I just want to talk to Amber about what she thought about the project and also her podcast. So it should be good. One of the talks, we got a bunch that going on. Um, I was miserable last night, Brandon. I was watching my Steelers lose. And the Steelers are turning from the best team in the league to probably the worst team in the league. All in two weeks. It's all exciting. But as, that, <laughs> as I was watching the game, my phone rings, uh, or my phone is buzzing, and it turns out I'm getting news alerts. The Indians may change their name. Uh, there was a report last night in the New York Times, and the Indians aren't making comment yet, which tells me that something's afoot. Because usually if it was a totally false report, I'm sure the Indians have been denied, denied, denying. They say, hey, we can't say anything at this time, which means they will say something soon. Um, Brandon, what do you think? Yeah. It's funny, Chris. I don't know if you were still with me when I was in Galleon, but um, I actually, you know, interviewed like this longtime uh, Cleveland Indians uh, fan, uh, you know, a woman in her probably in her 60s or 70s. And I just always think about her story when I see the Cleveland Indians come up because it's just, just like go tribe and whatnot. So I don't I don't know how I always wonder, like, man, how, how would she react to the news? Um, but, um, yeah, this has been kind of the. Um, it shouldn't be surprising. I think it's just, again, the timing of the announcement, um, just like what it just came out, it kind of came out of nowhere. So, um, but it'll be interesting to see what they decide to land, what name they decide to pick. Um, spiders, bears has been thrown out guardians. Um, you know, team names have become challenging in 2021 or 2020. So soon to be 2021. Definitely. And you know, I've got some mixed feelings about it. And I'll tell you why. Um, I remember as a kid, uh, we used to live in Southern Ohio when I was growing up before we moved to Northern Ohio. And we would go up to one Indians game. My dad liked, 
I don't know if my dad liked the Indians. Like, I don't think my dad was like, man, the Indians are great. I love the Indians. I think it was more of he liked baseball and the Indians were the local team, so we go up to the Indians game. Honestly, as a kid, I wasn't thinking about that much about racial justice or racial equality. I always found it weird because the old Indian stadium that has since been torn down, there was a big, huge red Indian. I don't know if you, you – you're probably too young to remember it, but I don't know if you saw a sign. Outside the stadium, there's this big statue of this really red Indian with a bat and everything. And mm-hmm. I always thought that was very strange and very weird. Now, I know the history of the Indians wasn't saying, okay, let's – Call me Indians so we can make fun of American Indians. That wasn't the point behind it. But you're kind of latching on to a warlike aspect of Indians. I mean, that's the way the whole thing it was. And what bothers me is the name change is way overdue. I mean, the name change should have happened 20, 30 years ago. And you kind of wonder, well, why 2020 or why 2021 or whenever this name changes? Brandon, I think it's all money. It's all marketing and everything. And although I'm glad they're changing the name, I think it's overdue. I think something needs to happen. Something tells me it's more money than a morality or a choice of what's right or what's wrong here. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think it's the owners of the team. I'm, you know, I'm not a big baseball guy by any means. I mean, my baseball and um, the other side from outside of work is just going to Columbus Clippers games. But, um, yeah, like um, I, w- I would say, um, um, you know, this is probably made with with eyes towards the future, you know, trying to stay relevant, trying to appeal to another generation of uh, baseball goers. And so, you know, I mean, it's tough because you got to, you know, pay – Pay, uh, kind of keep your make sure you're not just alienating your current fan base. And of course, there's going to be some who say, "Why do we need to change the name?" And that's, you know, so totally expected from uh, from some people who've been longtime fans. And uh, to hey, we want to make sure we have a fan base <laughs> 20, 50 years from now. Do we want do we want this team? Do we want this franchise to be around for future uh, Cleveland baseball fans to enjoy? All right, and I got a couple of questions I wanted to ask about that. But we, we have Amber Hunt now here from Cincinnati Inquirer. Want to make sure we get her in quick. And Amber, how's it going? Thanks for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Excellent. Well, thanks for getting back to me via email. It's 2020, and as you know, we are really busy with Gannett, Ohio, and the work. And I'm like, I'll send you a link on Monday, and then it's like Friday afternoon going, shoot, I forgot. So thank you for getting <laughs> back to me. I was a little bit worried about the weekend because it's been crazy. Want to ask about some of the stuff you've got going on. And speaking of Gannett, Ohio, uh, you work for the Cincinnati Inquirer. And I, I used to be there more full-time, and now I'm working for all the Gannett, Ohio papers. And, Amber, I was really excited to see the project you guys were working on. I heard about work over the past week. Haven't got a chance to check it out. But you guys worked as a whole new staff on this 2020 year in review. And it was really getting into telling stories about Cincinnati people, what they were going through and everything. Talk about that project. I was fascinated to, to see it and you know, read the story. Thank you. Uh, we first started talking about it in the spring, um, but it was conceptualized as what we went through mm-hmm. um, to run at the end of the year. But uh, as the end of the year got closer and closer, we realized that we couldn't talk about it in past tense yet because, right. shocker, it's not over yet. So right. um, so we had to kind of retool it a few different times. 
we've done this sort of um, broad scale newsroom type project before. Want us a Pulitzer? Yeah. Um, but it, it's really been a cool way for us to work together because it it allows for such a variety of perspectives. So we, you know, we met weekly for a long time. We found people to follow. I interviewed uh, this woman from Miami University, probably, I don't know, maybe four hours worth of interviews and uh, over, you know, months. And she's, she's a small part of the story, but having spent that much time reporting it, you know, we all felt we could speak with authority about what people have been going through. Was there any fear, and hopefully people didn't take this the wrong way, but I tweeted about the project yesterday and said, hey, this is a year we'd rather forget, but it was great reading the Inquirer's retelling of that. What, was there any concern in the newsroom saying, okay, we could do some fantastic, great journalism here, but do we really want to go back to 2020? Because half of us want to say, hey, let's talk about 2021. Hopefully that'll be a better year. Well, you know, we're, we're here to document, so that's not really an option mm -hmm. to sugarcoat too much. Um, and, and you know, for, for me, as soon as the pandemic hit and we were sent home March 13th, right. I it, my way of trying to feel like I had a little bit of control was to go through uh, old newspaper archives and read about how the 1918 uh, pandemic went. Mm -hmm. So... I was acutely aware of how important covering that is. There were very few stories um, in 1918 about like how it impacted people. There would be a story about, you know, numbers. There'd be mm -hmm. a story about how uh, a parade is still going to happen, even though, but there weren't stories about how the people really handled it and got through it. So for me, this was like a necessary uh, thing to do. What surprised you? And we're going to put a link to it so everyone gets a chance to check it out. But what kind of surprised you? I mean, I think there were some stories we understood. A lot of frustration. You know, we're at home. We're, um, I know some people are frustrated to mask. I mean, we hope everyone wear a mask and be safe. But was there anything that surprised you in terms of kind of the conflict and the, what was happening from last year? Well, I mean, we've... One of the amazing things about this year is that we all are kind of, you know, in it together. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of it you could understand. Um, there was one, uh, it wasn't one of my pieces, but there, there was another reporter who interviewed somebody who had COVID, um, got very sick, recovered, and still thought it was no big deal, didn't believe that it's a pandemic. And wow. that that surprised me. I'm... I, I thought that the um, the first person experience would automatically uh, make you more prone to believing. So she surprised me. Sadly, you know, politics, you know, plays. Well, I, I don't know if it played such a big role in the nineteen eighteen pandemic, but obviously it did. It did. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there were people who were who were saying you're stepping on our rights and all that back then too. Wow. That's really interesting. Yep. Yeah. Well, did it shock you? I mean, you know, we're all 
you know, we're, we're not supposed to be politically active as journalists. Obviously, we're covering it. We understand what's happening. We understand, you know, we're very well versed in what's happening politically out there. So we know from what we write, what we read, what we cover, this is really spoiling us politically. I mean, you know, unfortunately, our some of our national leaders have made this into a political issue instead of just say, hey, let's be safe. Let's save as many lives as we possibly can. Did some of that surprise you, though? Because I guess some of it shouldn't surprise us. But what surprised you about that in, in your guys' reporting event? Even before we were working on the project, I had written something about um, mask adherence. And I yeah. had to I had to decide if I was going to approach it as uh, some people think it'll help and some people won't. And I decided right. that I wasn't because all of the scientific data says that I mean, that's why they wear masks during surgery. There's right, a reason right. people do that. So I, I decided that um, I, as even-handed as I always try to be, um, I didn't want to both sides it when one yeah. side did not have facts backing it up. And the response I got from that was... Um, mostly positive, but the people who were upset by it were so incredibly upset by it. And that just surprised me because the the idea that the, the whole concept of the story I had written was somehow masks have become political. Mm -hmm. um, I still don't know how that happened. So I'm, I'm, I, I don't know how such a, a small change in our behavior um, could could end up being so politicized when it's statistically shown to save lives. I mean, there's so yeah. much I would do to make sure my neighbor didn't die. I, wearing a piece of cloth, just I, I was not expecting that to become political. Well, in the way I look at it, too, wherever you think politically, and I try to be as neutral as I can. Yeah. But, you know, one thing that the, Governor DeWine said that I thought was really interesting at the beginning was saying, look, we're not going to know at the end of this what exactly needed to happen, but why not take the extra step to be safe? Right. So if, like, I told you, hey, Amber, if you do this today, you've got a 100% ch better chance of living, you might say, oh, that might be kind of silly, but, hey, if that's true, let me do this one step. And that's kind of what surprised me about the whole thing there. Yeah. So, well, yeah, yeah, we will sign over our identities and our like intellectual property to Facebook, but we don't want to put a right. piece of cloth over our mouths. It's right. really interesting. Yeah, especially when it involves other people. I mean, it's almost not even as much of, okay, where to mask protect yourself. It's to help other people. We're like, oh, no, we can't do that. It's just kind of strange. But. Yeah, I remember one of the first times when I was like, uh, I had a mask on and somebody said, you, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really help you. And I was like, you're right. I'm helping you. Right. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Right. So. Definitely, definitely. All right. Um, was there a heartwarming story, maybe of somebody you talked to or some one of the, your colleagues down there that kind of really stuck out? I mean, there's been a lot of good stories, even though there's been a lot of sad stories come out of this. Yeah, there there have been some nice stories, and and actually, again, not part of this project, but I've made a point to help um, Amanda Rossman. She's a videographer yes. on staff. She has um, a knack for finding these like little human interest stories and she's been looking for ones specifically that are you know i did this during the pandemic and 
here's how it they're just nice heartwarming stories there was one we got calls in the newsroom about this trash man who uh people were just like he's so great and so attentive and we just wanted to let you know so i wrote this whole story about how people on this guy's trash route just love him you know and and it it makes it's a, it's such a small story it's not something i would normally write um but because we need those kinds of stories right now, it it yes. really resonated with me and I think with other people. So that was fun. And then then in the project, the like this the story that um I I talked for hours and hours with this MU woman, but she had this story about how um she doesn't have kids, she has dogs, her dogs are her kids, and her dog one of them started peeing blood was really sick so she rushed it over to the emergency vet on a friday night and she had to drop it off right because you're not allowed to go inside um and she wasn't allowed to leave because they wanted her there in case they had any questions so she's waiting hour after hour she gets hungry they don't want her to leave she finally walks over to a fast food restaurant goes to the you know they're not open so she goes to the window um because they're only doing drive-through and they turn her down, say, you know, you have to be in a car. And that, that was the moment where she just lost it. And I felt like that was a very um, relatable and human, you know, thing. The next day she was very much, you know, I, it's ridiculous, I'm healthy, everything's fine. What a third, first world problem. But at that moment it was, it was, the fast food restaurant turning her down. That was just like the, the kicker, you know, that pushed her over. Wow. Wow. Um, I've had a few of those moments. So I, yes, yes. <laughs> well, I think the thing that most people should remember is I think, unfortunately, as journalists, we get a bad rap. I mean, we've been attacked, you know, by the highest levels of government and everything. And I think what people forget is we're human beings too. I mean, we don't make lots of money. You know, we're not super well paid. And, you know, we do this for lots of telling stories and showing other people, but we go home and live the same lives of the people mm -hmm. we write about. And it, I think that's important to remember. And I'll say this too. And I know somebody out there listening saying, Hey, you work there, stop sucking up. But I think it's true. You got to support local journalism. So if you're down in the Cincinnati area, definitely consider a subscription to inquire. Uh, we're here in the Columbus area, consider a subscription to dispatch. Believe me, their subscriptions are very low cost. And uh, I was telling Brandon, the one thing that struck me about this, and I hate throwing out the Pulitzer word because I don't want to jinx you guys or anything, but you know, it reminded me of the Pulitzer Prize winning project. I'm not sure if if it's going to be to that the Pulitzer level, yeah. but, but I love the in-depth work that's being done. And I was telling Brandon, you know, video is important. Amanda does a fantastic job of video to inquire. And, you know, we look at newspaper video and we say, hey, one, two minutes, 48-minute documentary. How was that to put together? I mean, obviously uh, it wasn't just you. But yeah, <laughs> no, I, I got to hear, so, since Amanda and I are friends, and um, Meg Vogel was another big mm -hmm. player on that, uh, it, it was really daunting for them. Um, so I had helped uh, with some early versions of scripting. And just the, I mean, because they had stuff like my interviews, um, four hours recorded, you know, that they had to decide, well, are we going to use that? Are we going to, you know, and, and it was, it's very different from the print 
project. It's got much yeah. more um, more official voices in it. So you've got, you know, uh, it's it's more documentary, whereas the print part was like snippets and vignettes of intentionally, you know, lay people, not DeWine. Yeah. So it's it was a big haul for them. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And putting together a video like that, again, it wasn't just one take. I mean, it looks like a TV show. It's, oh, it yeah. is a TV show. You know, very involved in everything. It's good. I, I want to see on YouTube, too. That's been always my argument with Jordan and everything. You know, we got to put those videos on YouTube. So not sure if I'll win the argument, but I'll try again with Jordan pretty soon. Should be good. Um, other reason, and we, it's great that you're on. We'd love to have you on a regular basis. But let's talk about crime podcasts because I've always been fascinated. Um, I did some web production work for the Inquirer about a year or two back. I'm, I'm, it's exciting to be back working with you guys again. Accused was a big podcast. Now, is that still going on regularly or is that kind of a hold for now? Uh, the pandemic put it on hold. So from March until the end of this year, I was – focused more on other things we just i mean we had the furloughs oh, right, um right. and it, they just couldn't justify cutting me loose for basically a year to work on a project about right. an old case you know um right. and so i wasn't sure if it was going to continue and that was that was sad because it really is the most you know rewarding thing i've ever done um but I just I have official word that I'm I'm going to be <laughs> working on season four soon. So wow, so okay. that's good. I'm very excited about that. Um, but when I thought it was, I mean, at the start of working from home, like everything felt like it was falling apart. My husband was laid off. Um, my my job completely changed, um, and so when I get panicked like that uh i try to do something to take control so i started recording this side project in my closet and, okay. and ended up selling it and so now i have a second podcast called crimes of the centuries which Great. um is through a completely different network and it's just been it's it really was inspired by the archive search looking for the 1918 flu stories mm -hmm. I was going through those headlines and seeing all of these like huge murder stories uh, that were supposed to be of the caliber that we would never forget and I'd never heard of them you know so I'm going back and looking at some of these like lesser known cases and not just rehashing the crime but explaining like how they impacted society you know the Ooh. laws that came from them there's one um one case, it's a serial killer, uh, Black Widow. Uh, they call her the Giggling Granny. She's very <laughs> folksy and unassuming and you'd never think. Um, but she is the reason uh, that autopsies uh, are now mandatory um, as opposed to you needing the family's consent because she was killing people <laughs> and, then, and then they wouldn't do an autopsy because she didn't give consent and they were like, Oh, maybe we shouldn't do it that way. So those kinds of like nuggets are really interesting to me. And let's get the timing on that. So crimes of the century, is it currently being released? Like do you guys release every week? How yep. does that work? Mondays. Yeah. Mondays. Fantastic. Yeah. And accused podcast, 
check out the first three seasons. Very uh, good. Um, what's fourth season about? You, you guys look at cold cases and everything. What are we looking at on season number four? I have two cases I'm working on simultaneously. Um, and I'm not sure which one. This happened with season three, too. I was following a case. I wasn't sure which would pan out first. Uh, one of them fell through for season three. Um, the point being, we don't always know how it's going to unfold. So I'm following these two cases. Both of them involve people who are currently incarcerated. Oh. Um, and it feels very pressing to me right now because one of them had COVID. Is he, he, he's really lucky he survived. And both of them, you know, have pretty, you know, I'll, I'll never declare anybody innocent of anything, but they've got some legitimate complaints about how their trials were handled. Uh, so they, they're worth looking at. Um, okay. It's really, there's a lot of like internal pressure when you're thinking, wow. you know, the, the world is at a standstill for the most part, but these people, not only is the COVID rate higher in prison, but there are people in, there are people in prison who are not guilty. And right. the idea that they are more likely to get sick um, because they're in wrongly is just heartbreaking to me. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't imagine. I mean, being in prison period would be scary, but obviously during this time and you're in such close proximity with other people, it's got to be scary. Uh, Brandon's got a question, but before I get to Brandon, just want to get confirm. So Q's is coming back for season four. Do you have an estimate of when that season might start? Yeah, somebody in in um, higher up had asked me that. I they didn't ask me to ask you. So <laughs> probably it'll be the same as last, the last few seasons, which were like in the fall. Okay. I would think that that would be safe. And if you don't know about cues, you got three seasons to listen to. So yeah. you'll be stocked up until the fall. It'll be great. So, oh, and Brandon's got a question for you. Brandon, what do you have for Amber? Got. Two quick questions. One is like on um, on the nineteen your research of the nineteen eighteen pandemic. Um, I've you know I've had some relatives on both sides of the, of this debate about COVID nineteen, but um, one of them I think said like, "Oh, we're still going through the nineteen eighteen pandemic." Um, kind of curious. Uh, I mean, that's just kind of out there. That's bewildered. I think it usually generally the general consensus is it's ended around one of the world wars. Um, what was the coverage like? Uh, did you get that far? And how? Uh, the kind of uh, media back then might have uh, acknowledged like, oh, the pandemic's kind of, it's ended or it's subsided. Um, and then my, oh, I'll go to my other question after that answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it wasn't covered the same way we're covering it now, um, in part because the political powers that be really downplayed it. Um, and we didn't have the same kind of social media network. So you couldn't know what was happening in Philadelphia as quickly as, you know, if you, if you weren't in that city, but there were absolutely like stories about mayors coming out and saying, Oh, that there's nothing to worry about. Don't be ridiculous. But statistically in hindsight, you can see that the cities that put parades on pause and had you know, mask mandates and stuff, they fared better than the ones that didn't. Um, but a lot of this, I mean, I think that was one of the most surprising things for me going back and looking at the headlines was just how 
similar everything felt. Um, not not much has changed, and that's uh, that that's a real shame. <laughs> We're supposed to learn from our mistakes, but yeah, yeah. No, I was really surprised by that. That's really interesting. Uh, the other question was just on the podcast front was the. Um, uh, what's a podcast or a crime one um, that you like listening to or um, anything obscure? I actually try to make a point not to listen to crime podcasts because I do crime all the time. I actually edit. Um, there's another one called Unjust and Unsolved about wrongful convictions. I edit on that one. Um, so I learned that case. I learned my crimes of the century case. I'm digging into my accused case. And I've been doing a weekly um, unsolved murder column at the uh, Enquirer since the pandemic started. So I am just like neck deep in crime all the time. And um, I, uh, uh, my brain needs to step away from that sometimes. Sure. There are yeah. some great ones out there. Um, I really though, what I listen to are uh, comedy podcasts. I like, um, how did this get made? Do you know this one where you watch a bad movie and then they have like, they joke about the bad movie. Um, I watch a bad movie every, it's terrible. I've seen terrible, (laughs) terrible things. And it is so much fun for me. Um, Oh No with Ross and Carrie, I like a lot. They um, look at fringe science and like cults and stuff like that. I also like, uh, I listen to Up First every day. So that that's one of my go-tos from NPR. Oh yeah, I, I try to get away from from the crime stuff. Crime fatigue, I understand that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was somebody on Reddit uh, recently who was like, uh, you know, I just heard this case and, and I don't know if I can do true crime anymore. And I'm like, babe, I understand. <laughs> there, there are times <laughs> I, I try to schedule you know, breaks, like honest to God, not doing anything murder wise breaks. Otherwise it it would get too heavy. You would have to check out Amber, uh, Robin and Kiva need a podcast. That's the uh, show I like to promote. They each week, they talk about something goofy. It's very pop culture oriented. They like watching old um, sitcoms and do podcasts, making fun of them. Uh, this week, they're talking about the, the classic family matters and it, it's always fun. So yeah, okay. if you get a new podcast to listen to very goofy, but if you like the goofy pop culture, yeah. which is good, I mean, you, you know what we do here. I mean, we talk about a lot of serious stuff when it comes to politics and COVID. And it's nice to get away from that a little bit when you're off work. So, yeah, you have to check that out. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Amber, well, th- thanks so much. Um, I, I see there, Reporter Amber is how we can connect with you on Twitter. And um, remind me about the Twitter for your two podcasts so we can connect you to there. Uh, Accused Podcast is one of them, and uh, Centuries Pod, so Centuries, plural, and then P-O-D. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. I will email you. We have a big announcement coming that I can't make on the podcast now, but I'm going to email it to you because um, we're going to be need for more podcast guests. I'll put it that way, so we'd love to have you back on. I will fill you in on the details on my thank you email, but lots of stuff coming on. Thank you so much for coming on, and we'd love to have you back on again. Thank you so much. It was nice meeting you both. Fantastic. Have a great day, Amber. You too. 
Yes, Amber Hunt. Uh, glad that she came on. Um, you know, it was funny when I worked uh, strictly with the Inquirer. I was working from a house in Columbus, so some people that I haven't met before. Amber was one of those people, and uh, I, I listened to some of the Accused podcasts. Lots of fun stuff there, man. Uh, and uh, it's always fun to talk to other podcasters. And Accused has done quite well. It's been interesting to see how that's done. Yeah, it was. Um... Sounds like a lot of interesting um, projects she has going on right now. So um, my wife's kind of into the, the crime, true crime stories, and even yeah. particularly local Columbus ones, and wants to go out to the crime scenes. So, so maybe yeah. I'll, I'll make, give her a little reference here, or she might yeah. do her own investigations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Accused, um, you know, Amber's been actively, and I, I believe she's written some stories from the choir about too. I mean, she's actively. Uh, researching unsolved crimes now being with inquiries it's on the tri-state area down there but yeah close by very interesting um programming note <laughs> uh, david miller is supposed to be on in a few minutes i also was talking to a, a guy in england with a covid story and i was trying to change the interview i haven't heard from him brandon so we may have two quick guests i'm not sure if he's going to be calling in or not but we'll figure it out how about that brandon that sounds good. Um, is he on? Is he still in England right now? Is he on England time? Or I haven't heard back. So I mean, he may call at the same time. We we may talk to him quickly um, while David's on the line. We'll figure it out. Uh, we'll see. His name's Fritz. Um, Chris, you he, double booked. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, problem was I didn't hear back from Fritz. Um, Fritz we've been working this interview for a couple weeks. I'd email him, and sometimes it'll take a while. So we'll figure that out. But hey, first of all. The Columbus crew, they won the title, and the two most excited people in the world are Brandon Klein, our co-host, as well as this guy, David Miller. Uh, David was – were you the founder of Save the Crew? I want to make sure I'm saying this right. No, I was not. Um, I was. Uh, I, ended, I ended up being the volunteer uh, communications director for the organization. Okay, okay. Yes, definitely. Well, I remember David – Dave and I talked. I'm, I'm working with Gannett, Ohio, all the uh, Ohio papers in the Gannett chain now. At the time, I was more working for the Cincinnati Enquirer. And, yeah. you know, we were uh, big into FC Cincinnati because they were coming into the MLS. Uh, the news came down to the Columbus crew might move to Austin. And I was I was writing Columbus stories at the time. And I, I think we talked at the time, right? Yeah, we talked during the Save the Crew era. Right. And I remember you – you were one of the people I also talked to on the day the team was saved, like um, yes. on that day in October in 2018. And I got admit, we're excited to have you on, but like when it, we first had the conversation, I'm sitting here like, I don't know if this is going to happen. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. as a reporter, you shouldn't make that judgment, but it, it was almost like, you know, and not to get political, it was almost like talking to someone saying, hey, you know, the election will be overturned and Trump's still going to win. You know, you're kind of like, ah, I don't know if this yeah. is right or not. But it, it was great. I mean, to see the fan movement, they saved the crew. And, hey, if the story ended there, great. The crew are in town. A new stadium's opening next week. I mean, uh, next year, not next week. That'd be something. Uh, but last week, last Saturday, they won the MLS Cup. So yeah. in a year full of crazy bad news and crazy stuff happening, we got some good news with, with the crew winning. And wanted to bring you on to talk about that. How are you feeling right now? It's got to be kind of exciting, right? Yeah, it's it's been a really crazy weekend. Um, it, I barely slept Friday night in anticipation of the game Saturday night. 
And then uh, Saturday night, I barely slept out of excitement. So last <laughs> night, I was pretty tired around 7 p.m. Um, and uh, yeah, I I went to sleep very easy last night. But yeah, it's been a really exciting weekend. It's been a really fun time. It's been a really rewarding weekend. You know, I had spent uh, a year and a half essentially working a second full-time unpaid job during the Save the Crew saga. And um, now that we have gone from such a low to such a high, it's really, it's a real sense of whiplash kind of. Um, yeah. Just from like the dark days in the in October 2017 after getting that Grant Wall tweet saying that the crew and MLS are moving the team to Austin, Texas, essentially. And, right. Um, it obviously that didn't happen. Um, and we are here with an MLS Cup victory. And I really see the MLS Cup victory as a real uh, positive bookend to save the crew saga. Um, I think that any kind of full, complete story that can be told about save the crew should end with MLS Cup victory less than two years later after the team being saved. Um, it's really kind of a testament to what uh, a community soccer team can be when the real focus is on community. So it's really exciting. Yeah, definitely. Hey, I forgot to ask, and Brandon here is a huge crew fan, so he's excited to have you on and everything. Were you guys at the game? Like, I, uh, no. I wasn't sure. Okay. So there's a there's a, uh, like about two dozen uh, like save the crew leadership people, and I think about five of us were there. Um, okay. I mean, a lot. It's it's a pandemic year, and so my right, wife. Right. I, my wife and I are currently expecting our first child, and so we're taking okay. really some extra precautions. So Good. we didn't we were, we didn't go. We watched from home and just just the two of us and snuggled with our dog and uh, just kind of celebrated that way. Um, but there were some of us who went and some of us who had a wonderful experience, and then there were some of us who watched in a parking lot tailgating together, you know, a few miles from the stadium on a projector screen on the side of somebody's house, but. Uh, cool. Yeah, there was only uh, about fifteen hundred fans allowed, and uh, I'm sure all of them, all of them went to the match who got tickets. Yeah. But, but yeah, I was not there. What was your reaction at home? I mean, was there tears? Was there were you jumping up and down, or what? What was it, what was happening? Uh, so I my my wife shot video right after um, the second and third goal, um, and I I tweeted that video. We were pretty excited. Uh, but yeah, at the conclusion of the match, I really was, I was pacing probably for the last 10 or 15 minutes. And then at the conclusion of the match, I just kind of like collapsed on the ground. And I, I found myself in a little bit of tears and just because mm-hmm. I've been so involved and ingrained in this, in this team and focused on this team over the last, you know, three or four seasons that it's really become a part of me. And I'm, I feel myself as part of it. And to, to go and win and be the best team is is really, it's just somewhat indescribable. Okay, I got to turn the floor over to Brandon because Brandon's our resident crew fan, and, and Brandon wants to talk to you and ask you some questions. Yeah, hey, I was kind of, hey, David, uh, thanks for coming on. Um, yeah. Just kind of curious, going in this going into the game this week, like uh, um, obviously Cruz met a lot of adversity with uh, the Nag Miasanto news, uh, what did you thought yeah. the scoreline was going to be before the news came out or afterwards? Um, well, Seattle up until Saturday was a very good team. Um, I think their last their their <laughs> their Western concert conference final was a bit scary. Um, watching that game and watching, I went to bed about halftime and I was like, "Oh, we're going to play Minnesota," and then I woke up to the news we're playing Seattle and I watched the highlights and I was pretty scared. 
Um, and then when the news about Nagby and Santos came out, a lot of my friends and I were texting and we're like, it's not looking good. Um, and so it was, it was rather kind of surprising when that first goal came in, I felt confident. I really felt like the first team to score would have really set the tone and grab, grab the momentum. Uh, the crew this year haven't been super well in facing adversity on the field. Um, so I, I felt like getting that first goal was a major step, but heading into the match, I was not ultra confident, I guess I'll say, especially with losing Nagby, which I kind of perceived to be the best player on the team. And we also had so many people speculating who was going to replace them, uh, Lashi, um, um, Boateng, but yeah. we ended up with Aiden Morris and Derek Dien. Um, did that surprise you? Um, I loved the confidence in Aiden Morris, a crew academy product, and I, w- I was super excited for him to get the opportunity. He's done well uh, in spots throughout the year, but I was blown away by his performance on Saturday. I wouldn't necessarily say I was surprised, but I was, you know, really excited for him and excited with the outcome, obviously. I think they've got a budding star on our hands. And, um, you know, my other question I had was like, you know, we didn't, we haven't won the cup since 2008. Then of course the recession kind of came afterwards and uh, might be deter some momentum. I guess, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and hopefully vaccines get out in time to where we can all get back in the stadium the next year. Um, What do you feel like from save the crew leaderships discussions or just even the supporter groups, how will you guys kind of pay attention to maintaining that momentum to make sure um, the crew stay as relevant from here on out? Well, I think that, I mean, every sports league and every sports team has been damaged by this pandemic and it's really been, uh, you know, a pain in the butt for everybody. Um, But I do think that, some of the momentum could have been stymied by this pandemic for the crew, you know, at, through the end of last season and into the off season and leading into this season, there was a tremendous amount of momentum. And I, you know, I anticipated that all aiming towards 2021 and the new stadium. But I think that the team kind of being ahead of schedule on the field, um, I, I thought that they were going to win MLS cup next year. Uh, that's kind of what I was gaming in my mind going into the season is like, okay, this is still a building here and we're aiming for 2021 the first year in the new stadium as MLS Cup run. And the fact that the team is performing ahead of schedule on the field should lead to, you know, increased momentum off the field and financially and in the business sense with, you know, sponsorships and partnerships. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the guys and guys and gals in the same the crew leadership, we almost get as excited for the off the field stuff, like the partnerships as the on the field stuff. So like, when Nationwide was announced as the jersey sponsor for the children's hospital for this season and then Nationwide for next season, it was a huge deal because, you know, that's the largest company in town really stepping out and saying, you know, we're aligning with the crew. This is, this is our thing now. And uh, I think that the winning MLS Cup this season has really will result in a lot of excitement for next year, especially with the opening of the stadium, new stadium in July. Well, it's got to help with season ticket sales too. Which oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. Have Have you heard much? Like, I mean, your fan group has the team reached out to you guys that much in the past couple of years? Yeah. I, I mean, has there been a lot of communication at all back and forth? Or yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of us in Save the Crew have really good relationships with the folks involved. Um, you know, I sent. 
yesterday morning, I sent a few texts to people high up in the organization. We had some conversations and just kind of congratulating each other. And, you know, it's, I feel like the, the organization has really taken, made a real effort to connect with the community and connect with the fans. Um, the previous ownership group had not done that. And, you know, obviously they had a plan to move the team. And so it's really a breath of fresh air to have that experience, the kind of open dialogue and continued conversation with the front office and with the ownership group. Well, I think back to covering the original story. I mean, I could talk to you guys. You guys are more willing to talk. But, I mean, there was like this big gag order on yeah. anybody just the organization, you know, from players, coaches, you know, to ticket salespeople. And I know from behind the scenes talks, you know, a lot of people were freaked out, especially like salespeople and, and stuff yeah. that knew that if the team moved, they probably wouldn't have a job anymore. Exactly, yeah. But, now, I mean – yeah, I, I can't tell you how many people who worked for the, the team once the team was saved reached out and said, "Oh my gosh, thank you!" Uh, and yeah. We're, oh, yeah. we're relieved to talk about it and relieved to to kind of express their gratitude and their feelings about how it, they were afraid for the jobs speaking out. Um, right. And it's it's I'm I'm glad that there's a lot of good people in, in the who work for the crew who now have the ability to kind of talk to the community and just be open. So I got to ask you, um, FC Cincinnati, I saw they had a tweet before the game where, you know, they had logos of the crew, logos of the Seattle Sounders, and they said, we're rooting for the green team. What's up with that? I mean, I know you guys are rivals, but, hey, shouldn't they root for the Ohio team? I mean, uh, I would only call it rivals in the sense that we didn't beat them one time, but every other time we've lost them. I wouldn't necessarily call them a rival. You know, we don't. We don't think maybe, maybe geographically. All. I guess geographically. No, right. I'm just. I'm just. I'm just blowing smoke. Um. Yeah. I mean, FC Cincinnati and FC Cincinnati. You know, they're gonna do what they're gonna do. Um. I, I don't really want to talk too much about FC Cincinnati, to be honest. Oh, it, it, it's fine. I, I I just found I found the tweet amusing. I'll just yeah. put it that way. Little, little brothers always want to bother the big brother. That's yeah. Saying, I guess. Well, I'm trying to wonder if there's a comparison. Like, you know, if the Browns made the Super Bowl, are the Steelers going to do a tweet saying, hey, we're rooting for the opponent or something? No, like, I, I don't know how that work, would work. So, Yeah, I, I don't know how they would involve, involve themselves. But it was uh, I was more interested to see Austin FC's tweet um, after the, the wins congratulating us on the victory. So that's I'm really interested to see how our fan bases uh, coexist on the internet going forward. Yeah, I saw it too. I'm wondering, is that trolling or is that like, like was it a legitimate boy? Congrats guys. You're great. Or are they just trying to say, wouldn't it be funny if we get him a congratulations suite? I'm not sure what to think about Austin FC. Well, uh, in my experience in dealing with uh, the people who run Austin FC, uh, they're, They've not been super good at their job, so I don't know which way to go either. So we'll just see how that works okay. out going forward. When do they start? Is that next year or? It's next year, next season. Wow. Yeah. No, you so, think there's going to be you think there's going to be a little bit more fire with that rivalry? Um. Well, so pre-pandemic, I I was planning on no matter what going down to Austin for the first crew at Austin really? game, but okay. uh, we we we'll see if it, we'll see what point in the season that happens and. What's the state of the world? But 
right. I would definitely be interested in, in going down there and, you know, wearing crew stuff an entire weekend in Austin. Um, <laughs> okay. Very interesting. But, it should be good. Yeah. I, I, I'm wondering if we, here in Columbus we're more fired up about it than the Austin people are. There's the one thing I, I found in using this for the reporting was it didn't seem like Austin was as quite as fired up about getting a soccer team as Columbus was about potentially losing a soccer team. I definitely think that's accurate. Um, I mean, you saw that in kind of the buildup of finding a stadium location. That yeah. they, they ran into a lot of roadblocks. And, you know, it's 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 a different thing to, like, fight for what you already have versus being told that you're potentially getting something and you're like, oh, okay, fine, and just kind of, like, accepting it versus, right. like, fighting for your community and your sense of, uh, of value in, in Columbus. Well, fantastic. Well, I'm excited for Brandon because Brandon's had a lot of talk. Uh, he took me to the crew game, which I was excited about. downpour. Yeah, but that okay. was a game where I, I really thought it was the flood, too. I mean, I thought God was like, okay, <laughs> we're going to destroy the world again. Here's another flood. Just remember, it was that awful rain game. But, no, it was fun. And I'm glad. I'm a huge soccer guy, but I, I was glad to see it happen in Columbus. It was great. And like I said, you guys had a lot of great hard work. And, you know, as I said, I mean, the crew may have not won another game again. And it was a win that you guys were able to help save the team. But even more than that, the fact you guys won a title, that's great. Well, the crew won a title. I mean, David didn't win the title personally. But no, but no, it was good. Yeah, I mean, the the title is definitely, I think, a community win um, just because this – I mean, the GM of the team is the Columbus native. The coach of the team is from Ohio. And it's, it's a really kind of important thing for that for Columbus to have this happen as a community asset. And it's the team turned out exactly as I kind of hoped it would during Save the Crew with Ohio ownership, local commitment. And, you know, I couldn't be happier with the outcome. I just don't like that pro football team that the owners own. You know what I mean? Hey, crew's fine. Yeah. Bravo has them for helping save the team. But just I don't want any goodwill toward the team up in Cleveland. So, Well, as a as a crew fan, I have accepted the Browns as my second favorite NFL team. My, I'm a longtime Green Bay Packers fan. Okay. And, um, but I will now cheer for the Browns against any team except for the Packers. So I, I will – Ally myself with the Haslam Sports Group <laughs> okay. and because they did us such a solid. So I will be cheering for the Browns tonight. I also do a Steelers podcast, and my Steelers co-host is a crew fan, which is great. Uh, yeah. That, but he was almost singing the praises of Jimmy Haslam. I'm like, hey, buddy, you know, we're Steelers <laughs> fans. Let's don't go off too much about Jimmy Haslam. I mean, yeah, yeah he saved the crew good for that, but you know, hopefully, it doesn't you know extend to the Browns' uh, success. So very well, good. Well, I, David, oh. No, I'm, I was I'm just sorry. gonna say. I was just gonna say that uh, you know I've had a couple interactions with D Haslam, and I think that she, you know, I know that you are a Steelers guy, but she's an incredible, charismatic person, and I'm very thankful oh, yeah. to have her involved in Columbus. So yeah, just don't win the football games. I mean, she's. I'm not saying anything bad about her. Yeah, football, I'm not even going to say anything bad about the Haslam's company. You know, they've been in the news. Uh, 
it hasn't seemed like fine people. I don't have issues with people. Just yeah. I don't want their football team to win on Sundays or Mondays or whatever they play. So it should be good. Okay. Well, David, thanks so much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah. I'll definitely follow up with you afterwards. Um, we're we're going to need some more podcast guests. We've got some news we're going to share next week, and we'd love to have you back on. Where can we connect with you on Twitter? I mean, we're connected on Twitter, but where can the public connect with you at? Uh, I'm on Twitter at DavidMiller0789. So Fantastic. Lots of good tweets. Um, Brandon and I are going to try to talk about this before the end of our show. I loved your tweet to the communications guy of, of Governor DeWine. Did you hear back on that? Uh, I did not hear back on that. Okay. <laughs> I shared your sentiments. I'm going to talk to Brandon about that in a second, but I definitely shared your sentiments there. So, well, yeah. thank you, David, so much. We'll be in contact. We'd love to have you back on. You have a wonderful day. Thanks. You too, Chris. Bye, Brandon. Bye. David Miller uh, from Save the Crew, a, a big fan group, and uh, man, uh, exciting story. Um, and like I said, I wasn't sure if they were able to save the crew. It kind of sounded like crazy talk when I first interviewed them, but hey, it ended up being well. Well, Brandon, I want to talk about one or two other things, but but you got the floor. You got to tell me about your thoughts about the big game on Sunday, on Saturday night. Yeah, um, you know, it's just um, the news about um, the crew's issues with COVID nineteen. Um, we thought when you thought we there were some scares when going into the um, Eastern Conference final, I believe, but um, and then uh, we were able to pull through that, um, or even actually before Nashville, excuse me, this um, the Nashville game, I'm it's all blurred now, but um, you know, pull through that, um, get on, move on to the Eastern Conference final, um, and then if then only to know that once a couple of our starters uh, were out, you kind of just wondered, like, oh, is this gonna be kind of sort of a repeat of 2015 different circumstances, but, um, um, but no, it was just such a fun, fun to see. Um, um, it almost felt like, you know, by taking out some couple starters, uh, some of our other key players were able to shine more. So, um, uh, Lucas L. Ryan was just phenomenal, um, at the game and just seeing the momentum. And I was just kind of, but I was on edge. I was just like, you know, Seattle was able to claw back from a deficit during their match with Minnesota. So, um, um, it was just fun just to see them through not give up or not uh, ease up at all. They saw it through the end. Um, just, yeah, um, just so definitely not expected with um, to see a trophy so win so soon, uh, two years after the team was saved. But, um, I mean, this year's was a little di- di- different. Um, no, no MLS team played 34 games this season, regular season. So who knows what would have happened if, we were if it was a normal year, um, but no, I mean, crew was still performing pretty well in the MLS back to tournament, um, and they did well going back in the regular season for the most part. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's like a Seattle Sounders fan on Twitter I saw said, Oh, it'd be worse if we lost to the crew now with their two start with two of their key starters. <laughs> so this kind of kind of puts this everyone, anyone who says this is an asterisk on a trophy. Um, you know, crew probably had the worst of it on in the playoffs with COVID. So, um, kind of makes it a little bit of a, a sweeter win. So yeah, it's just great all around. Well, you can't take anything away from the win because everyone's playing under the same rules. I mean, if it's a short season, everyone's playing a short season. Everybody's playing with the threat of COVID and, and they won. They won the legitimate one. And I really think from a business side too, it was a great, place because I know the crew has struggled a little bit in the past with attendance and to have a title 
as you're going into new stadium, I mean, I think that's going to help you ticket-wise more than you ever would think. Because imagine if the crew were the worst team in the league. Yeah, there's some excitement from having a new stadium, but you're like, oh, is the team good or not? Well, the fact that they won the title and they're going to the new stadium, I really think that should help them out as a good ticket sales. And I, I think it's going to be great for them as a team. Yeah, I, I just think timing again. We seem to win win titles uh, during years of calamity. Um, crew won, like I said, back in 08, just before kind of the recession kind of kicked in. And I don't think I, I just and that's before I was a crew fan. I'll be honest, I didn't didn't really you know really connected like oh they won a championship and but it didn't seem like ticket sales one way or another improved in 09. Maybe they did. Um, it's but if it didn't, I don't think it was a spectacular phenomenal year. Probably because of the recession. This year, this pandemic, though, I mean, you know, f- no fans in the stands for probably the first few games. Um, um, but then hopefully by the time vaccines distributed, we'll be able to go back and uh, be able to fill the new stadium in the summer. Uh, just yeah. a lot of uncertainty. But, well, you know, I, I think the thing that dif- one difference, key difference thing is, is uh, we have more committed ownership um, than ever before. I mean, really, the Save the Crew saga really, really began probably in the, after around the 2015 MLS Cup. And that five-year stint between then and now um, really is the story of Save the Crew. It's just even before <laughs> the team left, even the team announcement. So um, um, just kind of about a debate about the crew's relevance. And it was really a question of, do we have the right ownership who's committed to the community and to the city? Um, now they got, they were going to do the hard part of trying to reach out to people who may not be interested in soccer, may be interested but not necessarily mls so um yeah a lot of work to, a lot, still a lot of work to be done in the years to come yep definitely um let's we're trying to wrap this up in an hour we've got some huge announcements coming next week which will make sense of why we're doing this <laughs> but let me wrap up something we were saying before we can get to our close uh we were talking earlier and there's so much else going on it might be a an idea that we need to have longer, uh, more podcasts. And, and we'll talk about that next week, <laughs> but lots of breaking news. Um, uh, quickly on the Indians thing, uh, the other thing we didn't mention from earlier, I was just saying it, it seems to be a little bit more of a decision defined by dollars. Um, yeah, I'm for a, a name change. It's way overdue. I kind of wonder why 2020 and not like 1985 or 2005 or some year in the past. It's money. And I think the Indians feel they can make more money to make the change now. And I'm glad they're doing it. I'm not sure if it's exactly for the right reason, if you're just doing it based on money. Um, our president, President Trump, kind of weighed in last night on Twitter talking about, hey, this is cancel culture. It's not cancel culture. It's you think about like talk show host or people at work when they get fired for doing something. It's not just based on what they do. It's based on if the company is afraid they're going to lose money because of it. And the Indians are reportedly making this change is because I think there's concern about what's best for the bottom line. And I don't think cancel culture has anything to do with bottom line. Cancel culture, you know, I mean, I don't think cancel culture is money-driven. I guess that's the point I was trying to make. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, there's like, uh, demographic or base out there that have different values than that. And therefore, you know, the free markets in action and companies kind of are paying attention to what, wh- who's going to, who's going to be the fan base of the future. You know, I think that's something you always have to have an eye on. I mean, this goes for every, for every company. I mean, like look at general motors, they're focusing on a little bit more on, 
the decisions they make, so they say, you know, is kind of more about making sure there's a General Motors tomorrow yeah. and right. to come. I mean, and there's a folk that's why they're focusing a little bit more on electric vehicles. Um, we may not may or may not like them moving plants out of Ohio, but um, and you and that's definitely a fair criticism. But every company is about making sure that decision is aside from profits. It's also making sure that they are around around in the future. So that's just well, how it is. And, and tell me if I'm crazy. I mean, we like sports, but your number one seed is the Columbus Crew. You know what I mean? Like if I said, Brand. What team is your number? I mean, it's your number one team. My number one team is the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I gotta say, I, I, I've had a long history of liking the Steelers, but I like Pittsburgh football. If next year they say, "Hey, the Steelers are offensive for whatever reason," we're gonna be called the Pittsburgh Maulers or the Pittsburgh Drive or whatever, it wouldn't bother me because my tradition is based on Pittsburgh football, and I can't talk, speak for my dad. My dad's been gone for about five years. Dad and I used to watch Indians games when I used to be more of a baseball guy. I don't think the tradition was as much of Indians, like, oh, we love the name and everything. It was we got together and we watched the local baseball team. If it was called the Indians, if it was called the Spiders, whatever else it would be, I, I don't think our love and passion was just based on the Indians' name. I, like, like the crew, would it affect your fandom of the crew if for some reason they said, you know, if it was insensitive or if it was just we think something else would do better? Say Columbus said, hey, we're going to change your name. as offensive to all the poor construction people. Right. Well, even if it was <laughs> well, just saying. If, you, as, yeah, was if a, they just came, you know, came out. It was a rumored, so no. <laughs> right. But if, if they came out and said, let's say they're honest and said, hey, it's not insensitive. We think we're going to sell a ton more shirts if we're now the Columbus Capitals because you're going to you're going to buy a Columbus Capitals shirt to replace your crew shirt. I mean, would you lose your fandom if the, if a name change happened for whatever? Uh, so, I mean, like it just depend depended on the reasons for it. And right now, you know, uh, I obviously I don't think Columbus Crew is an offensive name. So well, I think it's a bit hard to compare. If they but, say, hey, we're going to sell more T-shirts if, if we're named something else. I mean, if it had nothing to do with, like, offensive, if it was just saying, hey, we want to rebrand it, you know, we just want I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, I would I would, I would pose any kind of rebrand. I think if, uh, you know, just just trying to, you know, satisfy or differentiate, I, I think it's like you got – there has to be a balance between meeting the needs of the of – the, of the future fan base, but also making sure you're not alienating your current fan base. They have to do it with good reason. I mean, Cleveland Indians, I mean, the thing is, the thing is, the term is the word Indian, and it's referring mostly to people from India. So just kind of with a Native American caricature as a mascot logo, it's just, it was definitely war. It was definitely worth a conversation to rebrand. So, well, but, I guess what I'm yeah. saying is we're seeing backlash on, on Facebook. I mean, a lot of people are saying, oh, this is bad. I'm never going to be a fan again. But I think the team is smart enough to understand that. You know, what I mean? And I think the money matters a lot more than if you're going to lose some fans. And I don't think you're going to lose a ton of fans over it if it's the Indians crew or whoever, you know. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I, you, you enjoy the sport. Uh, you enjoy watching baseball or soccer or whatever sport you watch, but you know, it's about the memories you you make with your families and friends. And, you know, it's just, it's just an, 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 what we realized in 2020, it's just an opportunity to get outside, you know, and 
and, and the important thing is the team stays. I mean, it's not like what was rumored with the crew potentially moving or look at Cleveland with the Browns moving. You know, things change sometimes. But like you said, if the team's staying, if you have that memories there, you know, maybe it shouldn't bother you. But, you know, I, I can't tell you what you should or shouldn't do. I'm just saying if you're really that bothered by a name change, really think about it because is it more about having local of whatever sport you like, or is it more just about the name? And, you know, food for thought. If somebody thinks different, that's fine. But to me, I kind of look at it. It's just having that activity there. It should mean more to me, but I don't know. I look at things weird. Um, so cool. Well, lots of other stuff happening, but we're getting near the end of our hour. So I, I think we need to start to close. Um, Brandon, I, I would love to talk about this week, but we're, we're going to be on for like an hour and a half when we talk about it now. Uh, next week, we have an announcement. Um, we're not giving up the podcast. We're going to kind of, how, how, how should we say this, Brandon? Repackage it, maybe? We're, we're still going to have the same podcast. We're still going to have. We're doing our updating three design. Yeah, <laughs> we're yeah, changing the three. name. No, no. It, Please buy your shirts with the new. Right, yes, <laughs> new yes. Logo. The Pew name is offensive. <laughs> Trust me, I've heard <laughs> over the weekend, <laughs> many people said, I hate Pew. <laughs> Everyone said that. So I'm going to change my last name. It'll be a different podcast. No, it'll be similar. It's going to be packaged in a different way. Uh, we're kind of ironing out some of the bumps, but but they're pretty much ironed out. And we'll have an announcement next week about something cool coming uh, next year, which is only a couple weeks away. It sounds weird. When you say next year, you're thinking, oh, man, it's going to be a long way away. We're, what, two and a half weeks? I mean, it's crazy. My wife tried to pull a fast one on me. She's like, I promise not to buy anything on Amazon until next year. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> But she's, nice she's already got a million dollars of purchases queued up for what midnight January first, I bet. So. She's like time. <laughs> exactly. Nice. Um yeah, so one outside it's gonna follow our website too. But very cool. We're excited about it and we'll have some major announcements. Also next week, um we got Danny King uh, scheduled to come back uh, from Columbus Dispatch. Um, it's the Monday before Christmas. What's happened this year? We might finally get away from 2020, but Danny's going to talk to us about some of the reporting she's done recently on the religion beat of the dispatch. And we also have Tom Stoff from the Columbus Zoo. He's the president of the zoo. Uh, he's slated to come on next week, too. Jack Hanna is retiring, Brandon. Um, and uh, Unfortunately, with COVID, they were going to have a big in-person celebration. But obviously, with COVID, that's not going to happen. So he's going to talk about some of the virtual events they have planned for the end of the year with Jack Hanna retiring. And also some of the upcoming plans for the zoo. We're excited. My wife and I are big zoo people. It'll be exciting to hear what he's got planned. I know the zoo's kind of taking a big financial hit because of COVID. But I'm sure they have some upfront plans and plans moving forward. It'll be exciting to see what the zoo has planned out for the following year. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be really exciting. A conversation to look forward to. Yeah, it should be good. Um, other podcasts we're doing, and um, again, those podcasts are part of our announcement coming next week. But our podcast, we talked about the burning uh, in Seinfeld podcast. Um, George, I don't know if you heard of this one, Brandon. He likes to go out in meetings on a high note. So he's in these meetings. Uh, he used to make jokes. That went well, and then the next joke went terribly. So you make a joke, and you go out in the high note. Brandon, we got to start doing that work. 
I'm in, I'm in a lot of Zoom meetings for work, and I need to say something funny. Everyone laugh. I just, just you know, get out of the Zoom meeting real quick. <laughs> um, well, maybe try to do that after near the end of the meeting. Hopefully not uh, before. Yes. I mean, that, they'll, yes. they'll call you and be like, Chris, no, we got to get back to talking about work. <laughs> I, I, I did trivia for one of our uh, – we have a group of national web producers, and they asked me to do trivia, and I tried to make some jokes. I think the first one went well. I think two and three didn't go quite as well. Because I had to tell jokes, and it just – I should have went on the high note. I should have just had, heard one laugh and said, that's it. I'm out, and click off. So should be good. So, yeah, check uh, the Seinfeld podcast out. Like I said, next week we'll have Danny King and Tom Soft, and then Brandon. I might, you might well listen to this, the Steelers podcast. We've went from the highest of highs, eleven zero, to we stink terribly. Steelers have lost their last two games. Brandon, they lost the Buffalo Bills last night, Uh-oh. and we, so we're going to talk about. Well, we are recorded; it's available for you. Uh, we talked about the Bills game, and the Browns are getting closer. And we also talked to Jeff Panovich. From Bucyrus. Brandon, I didn't even tell you about this guy. We wrote about him in Gannett, uh, Ohio. The guy six years ago said, I'm not cutting my hair until the Browns have a winning season. Um, so, and Browns have a winning season. So he's going to be cutting his hair at the end of the year. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> yes. Very exciting. It took 2020, 2020 to make it happen. Yes. Yes. And, and just happy. Um, you should see him on the podcast. His hair is long. <laughs> But he, he's excited, and we kind of made fun of the Browns a little bit. But honestly, since the Sewers have lost two games in a row, we had nothing to talk about. We were pretty much like, um, Jeff, tell us about how to win like the Browns do, because the Steelers, we're not doing too well, Brandon. I was very cocky a couple weeks ago. Now I have nothing to say. Time to get a Miles Garrett uh, jersey. Yes. yes. Start, <laughs> start switching things, Chris. <laughs> start grabbing other people's helmets and banging them on the head with it like Miles Garrett, you know? He got nominated last year for last week for the man of the year. I thought that was interesting. No, that is. <laughs> Poor Mason Rudolph. What what would he be thinking? I mean, that's like, you know. <laughs> that's like somebody who committed a crime was <laughs> you know, nominated to be man of the year. You're like, hmm, that's kind of a bold move. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't know. Very interesting. So all right, ah. well, look at Looking forward to next week, man. We may have to plan a 10 hour show because lots of fun stuff happening. Can't wait for this announcement, and it should be good. So, anything else, Brandon? Oh, I'm good, Chris. Good, good, good show. I am too. Thanks for the world of Pew. Well, well, thank yeah, thanks to us for the world of Pew. It's great. Well, thanks for listening to World of Pew, and uh, check us out next week. It should be fun. Uh, have a good one.